The Local Podcast by Home Slice Media and Pioneer Bank and Trust. Hi, everybody. This is the inaugural version of a brand new podcast called The Local Podcast. My name is Dean Kinney, and my guest today is the president and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust, Dylan Clarkson. Dylan, welcome to the program. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on here today, uh, just as a place to start. This has to have been about the craziest last month to be the CEO of a bank like Pioneer Bank and Trust that you could have imagined. You're definitely right on that. I, I couldn't have imagined it. It's been, um, I've overused the word surreal, um, unprecedented. You know, starting out number one with, you know, really what is the coronavirus, um, trying to figure out what kind of measures we needed to take with our employees. But the day that um, I started sending employees home and us uh, downsizing in terms of people actually coming in the doors, uh, we were fortunate to be able to keep everybody fully employed and paid. Uh, but that was a surreal moment, telling our value team um, that you can't come for, to work any longer, and I don't know how long that's going to last, um, and it is for your, for your safety. Um, that was certainly the never expected to have that conversation and give that direction to my employees. Um, never imagined locking customers out of the bank. <laughs> right. that, you know, that goes against everything that uh, a bank is supposed to be. Um, and by that, I'm referring to our lobby closures. Um, again, our, our customers are able to still come into the a bank with a, by appointment only. But again, um, I don't think any business person, whether it be bank or otherwise, could ever imagine doing that, um, you know, to basically shut the economy off for a day is devastating, but um, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, uh, unbelievable effect. One of the things we want to talk about on this episode of the program is the PPP program that is providing aid to small businesses and primary uh, objective is so that they'll be able to keep their staff on board through the crisis. And we're going to really kind of dive into that. But before we do that, let's just back up a little bit. This thing both, you know, it seems like it's been going on for a long time because uh, of how intense the pressure has been on all Americans and people all over the world. But really, we're talking about a very short amount of time. And can you even remember off the top of your head when the first moment was where you realized um, the ramifications were as serious as we now know they are? It was on a, I do remember that, it was on a Sunday, March 15th, in the evening, when I got a news alert on my phone that the federal, Fed Open Market Committee, the Fed, had reduced inter interest rates to zero. Uh, we, we were already watching the coronavirus situation uh, closely, but that was an emergency uh, move that the Fed had not made since the Great Recession. Uh, to so when you take a economy that's very fundamentally sound that's the good news you know going into this thing mm -hmm. um, and take the Fed has to take an action like that um, it is uh, of course to a banker um, that that was the beginning of it for me and since then it's been um, an absolute frantic pace at the bank one of the places I want to start, I mean, I know your expertise is in banking and economics and in business and, and not necessarily on the health side, but nevertheless, as a leader in our area, we're recording this on the afternoon of Thursday, April 9th. And so things are changing really quickly. But as we sit here right now, where do you think we are on both, both from a national perspective and a local perspective 
on the health crisis part of this crisis? Well, that's the, you know, before we look at even any economic policies, um, we're, I'm, I'm trying to be um, constantly on top of the actual health parameters of this and how they're going to affect Americans, um, people worldwide, and of course our employees and my family. So that's where this starts for me. And, you know, the, the headlines um, that are in some of the news are, are devastating, and I understand it's real news that has to be reported, but I hate seeing the headlines about how many body bags have to be provided by the military to the citizens in New York City, as an example. You know, some of the <clears throat> websites that I monitor on a daily basis, of course, is the South Dakota uh, Department of Health website. While I, I hate to see the negative statistics, um, I really enjoy seeing the uh, negative test spike. I think we're over, as of this recording, I think we're over 6,500 negative tests. As I look in all of the counties that are in our trade area, I think there are only three active cases. It's good to point out the recoveries that have happened. Agree. Um, because those numbers are spiking. The good news numbers, that is, yeah. seem to be spiking faster than the bad news numbers. Um, again, it's 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 certainly a tragedy nationwide. I think we're over fifteen thousand deaths, and and I of course hate to see that as as any American would or any U.S. citizen would or world citizen. But um, I think there is some good news out there. Um, it's just not as headline grabbing. Um, you know, one of the other words that we're all learning in our new COVID-19 vocabulary is um, modeling and what the models show you. And you um, hear different information from different sources and this model shows this, but um, it sounds to me as of today that the um, Dr. Fauci uh, one of the coronavirus task force members is really ratcheted down the expected death rate um, in the United States. I think he is saying now 60,000 and 240,000, and it's it's incomprehensible that we could even think to call that good news, but it it's at least moving in the right direction. Um, yeah. As we sit here today, there's no doubt that uh, many of the uh, COVID-19 models that were out there, while all be, be uh, well-meaning, um, are being drawn back some. And the, the, the current news, as we sit here recording today, is that, is that maybe there's areas at the top of the curve already that they thought were a couple of weeks away from their, from their spike point. So, you know, there's, there is uh, reasons to be optimistic even in the situation we're in right now. Right. And, you know, as a, for everybody's health and, of course, for the economic impact, everybody wants to know when this is going to be over, when is, when's life going to be normal again. And, of course, I don't know that. My employees want to know that, and I can't tell them that. Um, very, very best guess in looking at the restrictions um, might be June 1st that we could start um, going back to restaurants and turning the economy back on. But, again, I don't. that's certainly not set in stone. When you look at the social distancing, which obviously you've taken seriously with the steps you've taken in your company, as so many others have uh, all over the United States and the world, but certain circumstances are unique to South Dakota, uh, even a difference maybe between eastern South Dakota and western South Dakota. As you follow what Governor Nome has done so far, she's come under I think significant scrutiny for not going further uh, than she has, but others are saying they think she's handling it wise. Do you have a take on how the governor's handling this so far? I think she is absolutely in a no-win situation. 
if sh- I, I think we're down to what six states that haven't had a, a shut-in policy ordered by the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her argument has been for that. Let's slowly take this instead of exposing our shutting everybody in and then exposing us all when we come back out to an even greater second wave, if you will. Well, she does that and she's not complying, and we still have cases on the rise. So that makes her <laughs> paints her in a bad light. Um, she does the shut-in, and um, then there is a second wave that comes of people that weren't previously infected. Guess what? She lost again. So, you know, I I don't envy the position that she is in. Even at, you know, at our level, dealing with 114 employees and give or take 17,000 customers, um, I rely on, on CDC guidance. But if, if, if you don't think I don't have to second guess or, or scrutinize decisions I've made that day that, again, I never, ever thought I would have to make. Um, I can appreciate the position that she is in. And really, all of our city leaders and county governments, I remember it was uh, approximately two weeks ago over a weekend that the Rapid City Council had their first public hearing on um, closing down or limiting access to curbside um, delivery at the restaurants and dining establishments, establishments in Rapid. And there were many, many business people that, of course, wanted to proceed and, with business as usual, taking the appropriate precautions. And I sure don't think that those folks were wrong. And I also don't think that the health professionals that uh, were recommending um, a closure and the city officials that were recommending a, a partial closure of larger group gathering areas they sure weren't wrong either. It's just, you know, this is new territory for everybody. Um, as a bank, we have a lot of backup disco- uh, disaster recovery type of plans for IT and for our staffing in general. And we did have, we do have a pandemic response plan. And I've talked to uh, many bankers around the country that also had a, a pandemic response plan. But I'll tell you what, about 10 minutes into this, we threw ours out the window, <laughs> Yeah, as did I think most banks and businesses in the country that had one. It's a testament to how we're just in this unprecedented situation where uh, I think all of us uh, are making are making a certain amount of mistakes because it is unprecedented territory and we're just dealing with the information we have on the day we have it. Yeah, I have not found the owner's manual for this. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Let's start with, on the economic side of this thing with maybe it seems like a little more of the boring part of uh, of uh, the broadcast in some respects, but but it matters so much to bankers, and maybe you can talk to uh, those of us that aren't in the banking field about why it matters, but talk about some of the steps the Fed has taken since it started and up until now and what it means to you as a bank and what it means to consumers. Well, um, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, on the 15th of March, when the Fed cut the interest rates to 0%, um, you know, when consumers heard that, that means, okay, to the layperson, well, all my interest rates are going to go to zero or very low. Well, right. it's, it's, it is designed to lower interest rates. They will never go to, to zero in, in very few cases with the exception of some automobile manufacturers. But that, that move by the Fed was intended to provide liquidity in the marketplace. So in other words, um, the ability to borrow money more inexpensively. And, and we certainly saw that, um, namely on our secondary market uh, residential mortgage department. You know, those rates are still at a historic lows. And when that action first came out, they, they stayed that way. But 
um, overall, the cost of money uh, was reduced. So for for borrowers, that was good news. Unfortunately, the the savers uh, that are trying to live off of the interest from a certificate of deposit or savings accounts or just some of their investments in general, um, those folks, unfortunately, are penalized in this type of an environment. Um, Savers have been getting penalized for many, many years now. Um, You know, all all banks are in a unique position as far as their own liquidity goes or the money that they have available to lend to businesses and consumers. And um, as a very conservative bank, we've always uh, maintained a uh, really strong liquidity, so so we can respond to a. Granted, nobody expected this, but so we can uh, respond to the ebb, ebbs and flows of our economy. But there was a a point where, as we're trying to manage our own investment portfolio, that um, one month, uh, three month, and nine month bonds were actually negative interest rates. So um, the rates have recovered a little bit then, but even on our own money, um, we were, in some portions of that money, we were looking at how much do we have to pay, <laughs> and we were the depositors. Remarkable. Uh, unbelievable. Um, uh, like I said, you know, when the, when the Fed moved uh, to zero on a Sunday afternoon, early in a Sunday evening, you know, we were paying attention to C-19 already, but that, that was drastic. When you look overall at what the Fed has done so far and Jerome Powell and the steps they've taken, um, do you feel like the Fed is on the right track and has responded to the overall uh, crisis uh, in, in a good way? Um, do you mean specific to the to the specific to paycheck? The Fed. Okay. No, not not so much okay. the PPP and the SBA thing, but but just more what the Fed is doing themselves. Again, they're in a they're in a really difficult position is that you know they they need to control inflation and prices in the economy that's their that's their mission and as far as them providing liquidity and extra unusual uh, facilities for liquidity to banks in the United States I I would have to say they're they're doing everything that they can you know since they brought interest rates to zero there's not much more they can do on that front but they are creating resources for community banks to to give them some liquidity if they need it. Um, the Fed is uh, I have not haven't decided that this is good yet, but um, the Fed is reducing the required capital ratios of community banks. It's called the community bank leverage ratio. Yeah. That was reduced from nine percent to eight percent. Um, I have got very mixed feelings on that. I, I understand that they did that so banks have more latitude. Uh, to manage their loan portfolios and their deposit portfolios. But by law and just prudent uh, bank management, banks should be really, in my opinion, overcapitalized and very strong. So uh, I hope that that's a temporary situation. Um, You know, overall, I would definitely say that the entire banking system in the country uh, was very uh, on much more stable ground going into this event than we were the Great Recession. Um, you know, and the, really the overall economy was. This was this was an off switch to the world economy and, of course, the U.S. economy. It really was. Talk a little bit about uh, the philosophy of Pioneer Bank um, from a conservative standpoint and bank strength standpoint and 
and and and how may, how that maybe differs from other banks uh, or or just what the what the long time philosophy is about strength in a bank. Well, um, I've mentioned this a, a lot recently as as it's it's very important for a community bank and for us to to have our customers and our um, communities that we operate understand that they can rely on a stable. 107-year-old institution, and I, uh, I would never have predicted this type of pandemic that we're having worldwide and in the United States, but in our 107-year history, um, we have gotten ourselves into a very strong financial position, and we should be. That is our obligation to our communities. Um, again, didn't know that this pandemic was coming, but we've been through the Great Recession, the Great Depression, um, other other pandemics in the history of the United States, and um, not making light of this whatsoever. But um, those experiences with my three generations of family members before me that are involved in the bank, I'm fourth generation. We, you know, we've learned and passed on from generation to generation that not to take our economy for granted and to make sure that we're in a position where we can weather a storm like this. And Goodness, we need it now. What an interesting position to be in as as the CEO of a longtime family bank. I mean, this is a circumstance where you couldn't really call up uh, previous CEOs in the company or other board members and say, "Hey, what did you do when this happened?" Because nothing like this had ever happened. Oh, that that's so true. And uh, you know, right now it's it's um, you know being our size of a medium sized community bank. Uh, we're give or take 690 million in total assets. So we've always been big enough to support our customer base as far as their lending and deposit needs. Um, but it it really has us in a position, like I said, that we're, you know where we can we can weather this, and we've got um, the ability to adapt to this changing situation. Uh, whether I need board support on some measures specifically. It's a luxury to be the size that we are now, <laughs> more, right. more than it ever has been. We've always enjoyed that because it gives us uh, nimbleness and the, the ability to make some decisions that, like I said, we never thought we'd have to make. Um, but it's a luxury now, and I believe it's serving our communities well and, and our employees and their families well. Before the CARES Act was passed, but after you realized businesses were going to be shut down all over the country, including here at home and including your customers, and that hundreds, maybe thousands of your customers were going to be affected. What did you say, what did you say to your lenders about what the bank's philosophy was going to be? Simple. You know, we, our business, both our deposit base and our lending base of customers, portfolios, uh, are all in our trade area. It's all where we operate in. So we, we've never in our history um, tried to acquire um, large customers or large loans outside of our area. You know, our, our communities have taken care of us for 107 years, whether that be commercial and industrial um, industries or egg industries and everywhere in between. So before the CARES Act came out, uh, before any of the legislation came out, there were two things that I uh, directed. The first was to our employees, and that was if you are out of the bank for any type of uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 related absence, uh, you will 
your benefits, pay everything, will remain intact until that was before any unemployment assistance came out, whatever. That was a, we were in a position to do that um, because if we did that, we're going to be able to support our customers. Yeah. What we told our, our, our bankers, our retail staff, to our customers is, first off, we're not going to make a one-size-fits-all policy. We're not going to do just one thing for our customers. But I made it crystal clear to them that we are absolutely going to work with our customers. You know, whether that be payment deferrals for a short term or whatever accommodation we can make, we're going to work with them. Have to. Um, Then, of course, when the Paycheck Protection Program was included within the CARES Act, that um, added more urgency to to our mission. So that that enhanced what we were doing already. Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about next when we return here on the local podcast is the Paycheck Protection Program an integral part of the CARES Act for small businesses? And we're going to talk with Dylan about the details when we return. The Local Podcast will return after this short break. Welcome back to The Local Podcast from Home Slice Media and Pioneer Bank and Trust. Welcome back to The Local Podcast. I'm with Dylan Clarkson the President and Chief Executive Officer of Pioneer Bank and Trust. One of the things I really want to focus on on this episode, Dylan, is the, the PPP, or Paycheck Protection Program, which certainly many businesses out there see as a lifeline for them between now and uh, hopefully the end of, or at least the immediate uh, uh, shutdown portion of this crisis, economic shutdown portion of this crisis. Talk a little bit about the program and, and how it came about, what it's designed to do, and and uh, and what Pioneer's involvement in that is. Well, <clears throat> the program, as its name suggests, was included within the CARES Act, um, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Stimulus, uh, Economic Security, I think was the, what the S stands for. And as its name suggests, the the paycheck protection part of that is $349 billion that's been allocated to businesses that employ less than 500 people um, to basically provide two and a half months worth of payroll. The idea is to keep these people on the payrolls. You know, they may not be able to, f- to physically come into work because of, of um, health-related coronavirus responses and requirements, but at least they will be receiving their pay. Um, and um, one feature of it, the, the really uh, critical piece of this legislation, is that um, the loans, um, and you could even call it a grant, can be forgiven if all of the parameters are met. Um, so uh, the standard terms of the loan are, are 1% uh, interest rate for two years, but uh, after the loans have been funded for eight weeks, uh, your banker and borrower can apply to have the loans forgiven. Um, so that's the, you know, that, that's, the, that's the catch, if you will, uh, but certainly a positive catch. Right. Let's talk a little bit about, and then what kind of, I want to talk about a number of things related to the PPP, but first of all, just on its, on its base sense, I mean, you, uh, uh, the business person calculates their, their, their gross payroll over the 
course of a year, and, and they can also add into that uh, health and uh, benefits and, mm-hmm. and a number of a, a number of other activities. Um, you multiply those by twelve, and or you'd rather divide those by twelve. And and see what your average month is, and take it times two and a half, and voila, there's your number. I mean, that's more. It's that's, almost that simple. That's the guts of it. Yeah. That that and then uh, you know of so that would qualify you for for the loan amount. Yeah. And then um, those proceeds, seventy five percent of it, have to be used for payroll. There's um, up to twenty five percent of the loan amount could be used for rent, mortgage, interest, or utilities. Um, but again, with that. 75% geared toward payroll, the, th- the principle of the act is to keep Americans on payroll. You said an interesting term there, the principle of the act, because I know one of the things for banks, when this program got rolled out, of course, the businesses all thought, this sounds good, you know. The SBA, everybody, presumably most businesses that are at all affected by this, filled out the application, got their paperwork together, sent it in, not that simple on the banking side of it. So what's going on behind the scenes while everybody is happy to get their application turned in? Absolute frenzy. Yeah, I bet. Tell uh, me about it. Well, I will tell you about it. Um, so when the legislation was being drafted, not even before, uh, what was it, um, Friday, April 3rd, I think, is when it actually became uh, law. Less than two weeks ago, by the way, as we <laughs> as we record this broadcast. So, of course, um, you know, I very much like that the government decided to include banks in the rollout of this, and it's also um, our funds that are funding the loans until the forgiveness happens. But, um, you know, we our phone started ringing while it was just in draft legislation. Sure. Hadn't even passed the senator house yet. Okay, how, how can I do this? How can I do this? So... Um, for once, bankers were getting some some probably good attention, but um, to say that it was uh, has inundated banks across the United States, I'm sure would be an understatement. Yeah. So we have a war room set up basically, where we've got um, bank staff that are processing the applications uh, basically on a 24/7 um, status since last Friday when it became, or Friday, April 3rd when it became into effect. And um, it's, it's been a frenetic pace. And, and uh, as a business person, who, who wouldn't want to look at the program? Right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you're looking at it from your perspective, you know, one of the things you're waiting on, they call it guidance from the SBA of how, how these uh, loans are going to be handled and will the bank have any liability or not. There wasn't a lot of clarity initially, to say the least, and and maybe still isn't. But up until maybe a week ago, as we sit here, there was very little, right? Well, right, and and that's you know that's the challenging part that the deserving business customers don't necessarily see. I mean, the application and really the collection of the payroll data is pretty straightforward. It's it's not overly complicated, and that's good to see. What's going on in the back room, though? is um, keep in mind the SBA in all of 2019 didn't originate more than about, give or take, $30 billion worth of loans. And now they're going to distribute and uh, process $349 billion worth of loans, and it could be in less than a month. So um, not even necessarily a criticism of the SBA, but they did not have and probably still do not have 
the IT infrastructure to support all of these banks. So we've, and I'm not, I'm not the only bank. Um, I'm on um, three different discussion groups and conference calls. Uh, basically, most of my day is, and nights are dealt with COVID-19 related issues. Right now, it's the 3P loans um, yeah. that we're dealing with and just bankers helping bankers um, trying to, to figure this process out. So, um, for instance, there are uh, banks that didn't necessarily need or have a prior relationship with the SBA. So they had to go through a whole uh, application process to become an SBA lender. Fortunately, we have uh, the luxury of having a, a long history with the SBA and a very good relationship with them. So uh, logistically, mechanically, we were already set up to process the applications. But once we got into uh, what will become another word uh, produced from the uh, coronavirus era was the SBA's e-trans system. And it got very bogged down, I mean, as people were using it. So when we're processing our loan approvals in the evenings and early morning and on the weekends, we tend to get a pretty pretty quick response um, That's fantastic. to them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's – um, there was a point where we had to just simply observe uh, and practice the intent of – what the program is, because it, it, it became very clear on the back end that um, the SBA and the government were never going to have all the answers to this. So we made a choice to either, we could have made a choice to not process them because we're not going to get everything that we think we need. And, and frankly, this is kind of <laughs> changing by the, on the fly by the SBA. We receive different guidance multiple times per day. Um, so on that Friday, we just we hit the go switch and had faith and in the process, whatever that was, and, and did our very best to, to be compliant um, me, and started funding loans. Let me ask you about that for a second. I, you know, I'm a, kind of a junkie of CNBC business news and, and – uh, now more so than ever for obvious reasons. But, you know, even after knowing, you know, my bank, Pioneer Bank, was taking these applications and was prepared to start processing them, I'm seeing on TV from various big banks, we've not yet heard from the SBA what yep. we need to hear to start yep. this. And so they had a, a bit of a pushback philosophy from the beginning. What do you think the difference was between their philosophy and what you decided you wanted to do at your bank? Well, again, um, the the spirit of the law was clear. The intent of the SBA was clear. So we got to a point where we created our promissory notes that that most accurately reflected the intent of the PPP loans or in that component of the CARES Act. We made the decision to go forward. Um, there is still, make no mistake, there is still more guidance that I would like to have. I would love to have a very detailed step-by-step process from the SBA, but it ain't going to happen. It just isn't. So here's a non-banking Maybe after term. it's done, it'll here's happen. Here's a, a non-banking term, leap of faith. Yes. But, but a, in layman's terms, at some point, you made a leap of faith. That's right. And, and you know, I can see, I can see the reluctance of, of some of the big banks um, and, and choosing to not participate in the PPP program, although I think... Some of them have, and, and some of the reasons that they didn't were uh, from prior actions the Fed had taken that prevented yeah. them from. Yeah. Um, you know, they certainly want they want the same guidance that I want, uh, but again, um, 
you know, we chose to go to go forward. Now, you know, some of the heroes that you won't hear, I don't think, in the in this whole process has been um, the various state bankers associations. So the lobbying groups representing banks in their state. And um, I'll be real specific uh, because it's very easy to say and very accurate that the South Dakota Bankers Association. Um, Kurt Everson and his team have led the charge. I mean, that this keep in mind that this information and guidance that that you keep hearing is coming at a torrid pace. And whether it be the South Dakota Bankers Association responding with um, a very current website to calls to their members to convening calls, um, you know, they're working so hard behind the scenes. One to get favorable legislation that protects banks from some of the leap of faith that that they chose to make. (laughs) So they're not going to be hurt later by the SBA. And just general information and support um, has been key. When the SBA came out and and, and the government came out anyway and started talking about being able to buy back some of these loans, I, 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 you know, as a layman, I assume what that means is to get some of those back off the bank books allows those banks to do more deals. Is that what it boils down to? Well, yeah, that's part of it. You know, you again, we were we were in a in a luxurious position of of um, having a favorable what's called a loan to deposit ratio. So, in other words, when you have um, in really, really oversimplified terms, because there are other mechanisms to fund loans, but if, if 100% of a bank's deposits are reinvested in loans, that's great, but how do you account for uh, uh, a sea change event like this where yeah. where every small business is wanting a piece right. of this funding yeah. and you need to fund it? Keep in mind that the SBA is not funding these up front. Banks are. Yeah. Um, so, of course, uh, there's liquidity issues in some of the banking system, and there's also the question, to your point about um, getting these paid off, okay, um, I know in my mind I've been thinking about, okay, is, is everything properly compliant, even though there is no compliance for this yet, and is it just as simple as they're going to be forgiven? Well, I'm a little shy in that regard, so... You know, if these loans don't get forgiven by the SBA as part of their subscription, that's where a bank, you know, will not be able to get liquidity back because they will have these loans on the book because they didn't get paid off, which is why the big banks, the small banks, and make no mistake, it's a concern of mine, you know, is this program, as soon as these, this eight weeks is up and banks start trying to get these things paid off, which of course their customers want, I mean, that's the forgiveness part, um, it, is that really happening? I believe that it will. Um, you know, at this point, there have been enough um, discussion behind the scenes. I, I believe that that won't be a problem. But of course, that's the risk in it for bankers. Part of the risk. When I watch uh, Secretary Mnuchin, um, who I guess I didn't have an opinion uh, favorable or not favorable of before, but I, 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 I feel from watching him that he's uh, acted admirably in this case. Has tried to uh, break down as much red tape as possible to get this program to stand up and and be out. And I hear him now this week saying very positive things about the community banks in particular. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because as a a group, we're nimble. I mean, this is a time that community banks in this country are going to shine. Um, We have the nimbleness and and the ability to, to make a decision. Uh, like we have in this. Um, 
Very few community banks I've heard of have completely pulled back and chose to not participate in the program because they don't have clear guidance. I would say there's much more community banks that understand the spirit of the law and most importantly understand that this is a lifeline to small business and, and medium-sized business in this country. And by God, they've got to advance these funds and originate these loans and deliver on the letter of this law. And again, the principle of the law. So we're doing it. It was a stroke of genius, wasn't it, to have it run through the banks? I mean, with all due respect to the SBA, who's done a great job of standing up this program in a short amount of time, had all these businesses, hundreds of thousands of businesses, had to file directly with the SBA, this money would not be coming out the other side right now, right? That's a fair statement. That's accurate. Yeah. So it was uh, it was uh, super smart to send all these businesses to the banks where they already had relationships. I think so. Um, you know, again, that's where the dollars in those folks' payroll accounts, that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, none of us have all of the questions answered by the SBA, but we understand the principle of the act, and we understand um, the background of the SBA and the, and the U.S. Treasury and, and feel very confident that they will deliver as advertised. Again, you, 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 you think about the scale of this project. It's a Herculean effort. It's that we're not looking for perfect here. Right. We're looking for lifelines and, and delivering it through banks, uh, community banks is is how it's happening. Uh, I haven't heard, and I think it'd be pretty hard to track. I don't know how much of the three hundred forty nine billion has been um, actually funded. Actually funded, and, and the key to that is the application process. So when a bank gets an application approved, they get uh, several authorization numbers from the SBA so that that the, then those funds become allocated to that business through their bank so so getting the approvals done is the key you know of course getting the loans originated and the money in the accounts that's going to happen and, and of course necessary but it's getting the money earmarked to that community bank for their customer that's when you can take a you may not have signed the loan docs yet but if you know you're approved then you can take a sigh of of relief. Absolutely. What 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 is your take right now on where the program uh, stands? It's it's it seems to be clear that the, maybe this original amount is not going to be enough to get this plan to all the businesses that will apply. There seems to be political will on on both sides to fund more of it. Uh, and yet, as we sit here today on this broadcast, it hasn't happened yet. No. In fact, it was uh, denied at the Senate, I believe, today. Yeah. I think that that's a detail, um, but you know, to be completely clear, like you said, as of today, this is this is this money will run out at three hundred forty-nine billion dollars. I hate to make this political, but there are too many uh, Americans counting on this. I think it is highly likely that the program will receive additional funds. It yeah. technically didn't happen today, but if you look at the origin of the CARES Act, it went back and forth for, I think, almost a week or so before it was signed into law, maybe longer. Yeah, so there may be some additional jostling, but your feeling is that the 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 political will is such that more money will come into the program as needed to get this business, this money to small business. Uh, I do. I think I think each political party will... will get their digs into the other party. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I think, um, and perhaps the end of the week, literally, I think that the program will, will receive more funding. But until it happens, um, it, it hasn't today. 
So we're, we're working fever, truly feverishly and, and 24-7 to get these things approved. Yeah, on behalf of your customers yeah. to move as quickly as you can. And we've got hundreds of applications. I, I'm I, sure you do. I wish there was a, a better portal, but you got to keep in mind, each application takes, um, last time I... I had looked or experienced it was uh, well over an hour to process through the SBA system. That's just one application. Right. So Amazing. it doesn't matter how familiar we are with them. Right. We, we can't make their system just operate any faster. Yeah. Um, now, um, I do believe the SBA has taken some steps to improve that performance. So, you know. And overall, I mean, wouldn't you have to say from the, from from you know, the federal government always gets a bad rap for red tape, no matter who's in power. It's pretty amazing. This thing has rolled out in the time it is has, and that, and that, and that it's literally happening as we speak. Well, yeah. I I mean, is it perfect? No. I mean, is, is the, is the U S government and have they always been just a, a, a beanbag for abuse? Well, yeah, they <laughs> right, are. Right, right. So, you know, you hear me um, complain about some of the backroom logistics of doing this, but really, it's happening. Yeah. The money Amazing. is out there. I, I don't know exactly at, at this moment because it's literally now we're in the stage where we're moving processes uh, or applications. Uh, we're getting enough of those approved that now we're constantly um, getting the original loan doc signed by our customers. And, um, you know, I'm seeing the loan balances increase exponentially from day to day as these things are getting closed. Yeah. I think I think we're trying to close around Oh, don't quote me on this. 20 to 25 a day Amazing. at this point and that's really truly only 3 days into it if you don't count today. You know, yeah. Friday was the first day we started to get approvals and then the next step is um the funding of the loans and disbursement sure. of the funds. Um and to the extent the SBA can improve on their end, you might be able to pick that up on your end, obviously, right? Uh, that's right. And, you know, they're, they're having, um, you know, again, there, there wasn't a rule book. They didn't have time to write a manual to this program before it happened. So, yeah, it's true. I mean, they're kind of making it up as they go along and as they get questions from, um, again, the State Banking Association and, and other trade groups. Um, the ABA and ICBA have also been very active. But... Um, you know, there there's not pushback from Treasury or the SBA. I mean, they, everything that I have heard is uh, they've been very supportive and understanding of the banker's position. So there's not – I mean, there's some logistic challenges, no doubt. But they are being very supportive and very receptive. I think it was last Sunday that um, all of the state bank associations, including South Dakota Bankers Association and, and Kurt Everson, had a – and the American Bankers Association, and I believe the AB, or ICBA as well, actually had a conference call with Secretary Mnuchin and his deputy of the SBA, or whatever her position is, and um, addressed some of these concerns and some of the challenges that, that they've had. You know, we're on two different applications now. So, again, not perfect, but is it getting starting to get into um, small business owners' accounts? And the answer to that is yes. Fantastic news. You know, one of the things everybody is without uh, during this time is a crystal ball. So we won't ask you to have one either, except for the extent of just your, your, what you know so far. Um, will the federal government have to do more? Will there have to be, beyond just further funding of this particular program for small businesses, 
Will that get us to the end of this crisis in your view, or or will there be a new eight weeks or a new? What, what, what are you what are you feeling right now is going to happen with small business after we get past this eight week period? Well, <clears throat> local governments, state governments, operate off of taxes, so various types of taxes. So if the goods aren't being sold that generate a tax base, we're going to have a problem, or probably already do, at least with our state governments, if not local as well. So that may, that may be the next phase of this. Um, you know, I, I think the country will never be the same. You know, when 9-11 happened, uh, as tragic as that was, there was a real movement to get people back into car dealerships, to get people mm-hmm. into restaurants, to get them socializing, to get them buying airline tickets again and traveling and so on and so forth. Well, the crux of this situation is we're, we're, we've done a 180 for, for the health of the physical health of, of the world citizens and U.S. citizens by telling them to don't go out, don't go to a restaurant, don't go to a coffee shop, call your banker if you want to come in. Call your car dealer because you can't go in the showroom. So, wow. I mean, again, who, who, it's been so many conversations that were firsts. Yeah. I'm closing down. I'm not closing down for a couple of days. I'm closing down now, in some cases, for three weeks. Yeah, for an and unknown amount of time. And it's going to be longer. I think June is probably a safe bet that businesses might have some of the restrictions lifted it feels like as good a guess as any right now i agree that Um, end of may is probably the time but what does that look like you know i mean obviously we can't just turn this switch back on so this is going to be there'll still be some rules presumably when about how we uh, conduct ourselves socially when this thing opens back up well you know the the cure to the problem is a cure to the problem and by that i mean a, a vaccine or some type of therapy that proves effective for COVID-19. Um, will there be a feeling in the United States about when's the other shoe going to drop? So say things improve, schools open back up. You know, another first conversation, our kids got out of school in what, March? Yeah. And never went back. Yeah. Pretty long spring break. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, uh, we're going to have to adapt to a new normal. I don't know what that looks, but it does scare me. We're talking with Dylan Clarkson, the president and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust, and we'll be back in just a moment. The Local Podcast will return after this short break. Welcome back to The Local Podcast from Home Slice Media and Pioneer Bank and Trust. Welcome back to The Local Podcast. Our guest today is the president and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust in the Black Hills of South Dakota, Dylan Clarkson, who has been with us uh, throughout the broadcast. Appreciate you have, having taken some time out of your day to be with us, Dylan. Let me just ask a couple of questions before we go. And I can't, I can't help but be curious, what's your day like right now? What's a day to, what, give me a day in the life of uh, the CEO of Pioneer Bank. Well, fortunately, I'm still married. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they, since this began, it is, it is um, certainly sleepless nights. Um, a lot of, um, times, you know, making sure that you're really doing the right thing. You're doing right by 
not only your customer employees, but by your family also. I mean, this, um, and not just for bankers, for for so many citizens in the United States that have lost their job, um, been laid off. Um, it's stressful times. Be no, kind. Be kind, right. It's so important for all of us to remember right now. When you look at the economy, you know, people talk about, will this be a V? Will it be a U? Will it be an L? What do, what, what do you see coming out of this from the overall economy? I'm st- I am still in a firm V pattern. <laughs> and, Great. And, and what I think you're referring to, Dean, when you say VU is, you know, really how long is this thing going to happen? Well, keep in mind, going into this, we had 2% unemployment. And in less than a month, we're probably going to hit 30, 32, 33. I've heard high estimates of 35, millions of Americans. More than the Great Depression. Um, right. Now, granted, there's a whole lot more people it's working, a, too. It's a different economy it's, entirely. Right. But. 330 million people now. But um, the economy was sound. Stock market was strong. We had one of the greatest economic expansions in terms of overall time, over 10 years. Um, people were buying, building. And it was a switch that shut this off. It wasn't a number of multiple different factors yeah. that were driving this, the like government. the Great Recession was. Um, you know, the banking system is so much more sound than it was in 08 going into the Great Recession, um, or in the Great Recession. And be, for those reasons, I think there will be some pent-up demand. Um, you know, once we're out again... Um, shopping, spending money, and I think we will be. I think it's going to be a very quick recovery. I think a lot of folks are going to want to pick up um, because this is really, truly driven by one event. Um, It's so so unique. I mean, the government literally made the choice to shut off the economy uh, to save the people from the health crisis. And as hard as that was, that probably was the right choice. I mean, not not probably it was. I mean, it, it, it is done to protect the public health. But you're in the camp that when the time comes to open up the economy again, you're uh, you're bullish about a strong recovery. I am. I mean, it, it's thank goodness. I mean, there's I take that back. There's nothing great about this crisis, but um, at least it's going on at the time of year where, generally speaking, the weather is nice, so that folks can at least get out and go for a hike, or a walk, or ride a bike with relative <laughs> safety. Um, I think Americans are going to want to to get out and, and resume life as normal. And as we go through these coming weeks, one one benefit is the time of year we're in. Uh, if the, you know, I think your estimate is as good as any that it'll be the end of May, but we're heading into better weather. It'll be easier to barbecue on your deck yeah. or take a hike or mow your lawn or something you'll, to make it seem normal. You'll want to be. And, and you know, I do, I do feel like we will see the absolute best in humanity during this crisis and after it. Um, you know, people are going to want to support each other. I really believe that. Um, and that will help. What do you see in the economy here? Um, you know, I mean, it's equally, or I don't know, I, I shouldn't say equally, more devastating certainly in some parts of the country than others, but devastating to our area nonetheless, this shutdown. But wh- what do you see in, our, in, in the economics here prior to this and coming out of this? Similar? The V, or what do, what do you see? Similar, I would say. Um, you know, one real asset we have in our economy is the diversity. 
you know, of course, tourism is important, but also ag is too, and, and commercial and industrial. So we're pretty well diversified. I wouldn't say that we're over, you know, overly concentrated in one specific industry. Um, of course, we certainly have an ag orientation, but um, some of that diversity that this economy has, I think is good for Western South Dakota. I think it's good for all of South Dakota. When we look at this, um, you know, the, as we look back at what we've talked about today, when we talk about the PPP program, it was, a, you know, a, I think a, a mass scramble for business to understand it and to do their applications and to get them into you. And now you're getting them back out the other side. And it is a lifeline for so many businesses. And we've talked about the next piece of this is going to be to capitalize on the ability to get a, the, the majority of this loan, if not all this loan, forgiven uh, through this program. But that that's going to require certain steps on the part of the businesses and the banks and Will you come back with us on, on, on the next broadcast? And people are going to turn their attention now, I believe, to how do I, how do I get that done right? And that's important to the banks, and that's important to the businesses, and maybe we can talk about that on our next broadcast. For sure. And, and that's definitely, you know, the, you're referring to the feature of loan forgiveness in the Paycheck Protection Program. And, um, you know, that's, that's going to be the next phase of this, application then loan disbursement funding, getting the money where it matters, and now the next phase is is getting the loans forg- forgiven per the CARES Act. How do you think the uh, breakdown is going to work out for businesses? Have you thought that through in terms of what percentage of their expenses can be are in yeah. the pay? You know, they want it to be a 75-25 in some yeah. businesses. I assume that's going to work out perfectly, and in others that's not going to work out so well. Well, it, it isn't even... Uh, well, the intent of the program is 100% payroll. Yeah. They were just publishing tolerances for 75% <laughs> of it being payroll. <laughs> right. But what we are seeing, you know, what we're, what we're seeing in, for most of our applications is is a much heavier orientation towards um, payroll. Yeah. You know, keeping their folks employed. They might have to send them home. Yeah. But we want to keep them employed while they are at home you know, for, for the greater good. Right. And also, too, speaking back to a, if this event is V-shaped, we're going to need people back in our businesses working, those good folks that worked for us during and, this. And these businesses are going to come out of this process. One of the things I was talking to our congressman about uh, relative to this is uh, the businesses will come out of this stronger if they have their teams together. You know, it stands to reason yes. that one of the benefits of this program is that, not only do we have fewer people going on the unemployment roll, but also businesses will be better positioned to come out in a strong way if they've been able to keep their team on the payroll. Totally agree. Dylan Clarkson, the president and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust. Thank you for joining us and look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. This is The Local Podcast. We look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Local Podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are opinion and information. While we strive to be accurate and transparent, any errors and or omissions are unintentional.